Imagine being one of a handful of people accompanying Jesus uh, as he, you know, went everywhere, going everywhere with him, being involved in his public ministry, being involved in private conversations, going from town to town um, to the synagogues in the small towns and the homes of uh, people of all types, uh, the sort of uh, tradespeople, the influential religious elites, uh, to people who've been somewhat ostracized because of uh, their particular vocation, i.e. tax collectors who were despised. And you're with Jesus, and you get to see how he interacts uh, publicly with people when he's teaching, get to see how he interacts uh, privately with individuals when they would come to him with needs, and being someone who goes with him to all these places, uh, these small towns, and to, you know, when he's teaching at the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and then he's teaching on the side of the mountain to the thousands, and then he's teaching in the temple, in the big city, in the holy city, Jerusalem, uh, the object um, of so much history, so many promises, so much prophecy, and in the great uh, temple of Yahweh. Uh, you're on the roads with him, uh, you know, doing all of these things, hearing him, getting to see him heal people, uh, getting to see him heal the sick, heal the lame so they can walk, heal the blind, cast out demons with, with authority that is uh, just unmatched, simply with the word commanding demons out of people. And you get to see that, and you get to see people uh, celebrating after Jesus changes their lives. And traveling with Jesus thinking of someone like the guy that it says had a legion of demons in him, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that's just a, a general thing. It doesn't mean a legion was 6,000. Well, you know, I don't know how many demons the guy had, but that was the term used. He had a lot. He had plural. And you get to see somebody like that where... These unclean spirits had done their level best to destroy the image of God in a person where it would have been hard to look at that person anymore and see the the image that God loves these creatures. He loves humanity and created us distinctly special in all of creation and said, let's create man in our own image. And here the enemy has happily tried to rob humanity of that image of God in them, to distort it, to destroy it, to erase it in some way. And you get to accompany Jesus, seeing him restore people like that guy who had said nobody would even go near anymore. He lived out among the tombs. That's an outcast, okay? Nobody went near him. They, wouldn't, they didn't even want to try and subdue him anymore. And these guys got to travel with Jesus, got to walk with him, or one guy in particular. And imagine yourself being that, but then you also see the 
the tide kind of changed where opposition gets more intense and his opponents seem more determined to stop him, to see to it that he doesn't keep doing what he's doing. And why would you stop that? It seems like, you know, what, what's to be against the things that he's doing? But because of jealousy and selfish ambition, people didn't want to see him continue. So they begin to persecute him more and more. You're traveling with him. You see his arrest. You see him suffer. You see a mock trial where it's really a kangaroo court. And then he's crucified as a criminal would be in the most shameful way. You've received from this guy private instruction, private teaching. When he teaches some, he says it's given to you to know the mysteries, and he teaches even more. You've been that close, and now you're seeing, you've, you're seeing him treated this way. You've been commended by him, and you've been corrected by him. Seen him do all of these kinds of things, and then you even felt the grief of having denied Jesus. When push came to shove to save your own hide, you denied him. But then shortly thereafter, after the glory of the resurrection, you also experience the glory of the love of God being restored that Yes, I denied Jesus, but he's restored me. Of course, I'm talking about Peter here because that's who wrote this letter that we've been reading. That's who is writing to the church. He's writing this letter shortly before he died. And this guy has experienced all the things that I just sort of cataloged. He experienced all of that and then experienced seeing Jesus ascend into heaven and to be seated at the right hand of God and hear angels say, don't worry, he's coming the same way that he went. That's who's writing this letter that we've read for the last couple of weeks. This guy is credible. This guy, by this point, by the time he writes this, this is somewhere in the mid-60s AD, just prior to his death, and then to Peter's death, and then within a a few short years, maybe five or six years, Jerusalem is is raised. Jerusalem is, is reduced to nothing. That's the guy who's writing. He's credible. He suffered for the gospel. He's been there when it was like, gosh, we wanna we wanna trust you, Jesus, but we don't see any way. This guy was on the water with Jesus. This guy was there when Jesus calmed the storm. He's done all that. And he's writing to us, the beloved church of Christ. He's writing to us. I would think if there was a guy today like that, I'd want to hear what he had to say. Amen. This guy's paid a price like these people here. Like Dwayne just said, there's a it's it's a grief to hear of the persecution that the people around the world who for, who are uh, the, the persecution people are experiencing for their faith, but there is an element where it it can also sort of be like a wake up. You you're you're frustrated because you missed a a green light and you got to sit an extra thirty seconds at the like you know we what do they call that first world problems? 
you know, it's like there are people that are, you know, they're going to the nth degree for their faith. And how about us? And that's this guy. This guy, Peter, is one of those people. Okay, so quickly, that's who's writing to us. And he's writing specifically to the church of Jesus Christ, to Christ's beloved, the bride of Christ. He's writing to the, to the, the ones that Jesus loves, the ones he's coming back for. I'm in that number. I'm counting myself in there. I've given my heart to Christ. I'm in that number. He's coming back. Okay, quickly. Peter has been... Now, I said we're getting to verse 8 to this weekend. We're getting there. We're, we're getting there if we have to stay... Oh, by the way, tonight, the clocks fall back. I know it didn't affect our service, but the clocks fall back. This is the end of daylight savings time. So we've got an extra hour. Okay. <laughs> We've got an extra hour tonight. Uh, Yeah, that's right. We've got an extra hour, so we're covering verse 8. So, Peter has been encouraging followers of Jesus in this letter, 1 Peter. He's been encouraging them in a time of persecution and suffering. Not unlike what's going on here. People were, believers were persecuted and they were suffering because of their faith in Christ. And um, Peter is saying to them, this is to be expected. You guys can expect this. And we've gotten to a place where we sort of don't expect it in our culture because there's been such a strong Christian influence for Centuries. However, the Bible hasn't changed, and it still talks about suffering being there. There's going to be some, and I don't say that to be a heavy or to, to you know, glory in the fact that, you know, there's going to be some, some significant challenges for us. I don't say that to, you know, revel in it, but just to say, let's be real. Like Peter saying, you, you were told ahead of time that there'd be some of this. And why? Because the world is in open rebellion to a holy God. Even at the very, in the first verse of this letter, Peter uses a term. Now, in some translations, it's probably translated foreigner. But in the New American Standard and in the King James Bible, in ones that are considered very uh, literal... The word is aliens. Peter says, you guys are aliens. What does that mean? We have, you know, we're green and we have antenna? No. It means that we're from another world. We're from another culture. We're, we're alien to this world. Why? Because this world's in rebellion to a holy God. But through Christ, those who've responded to him in faith are born again and given life in the kingdom of God. We still exist in this world, but it's kind of like, in one sense, we've got one foot in one world and another in the other. We're in the kingdom of God, but we're still part of this world. Now, that's why Paul would say later, I long to depart and be with Christ, because that's much better, because he knew where his home was, where his citizenship was, and... I claim my citizenship in the kingdom almost daily. God, I'm a citizen of heaven. 
And I just read that in Philippians the other day. It says we're citizens. That's where our citizenship is. And it's the place from which we wait for a Savior to come. We're waiting for him to come for us. But we're aliens in this world. And so the world kind of reacts to it. And, you know, they're restrained by certain things. But the world is in rebellion to God. So anything that emphasizes sin and accountability to God, which the gospel does... That is met with pushback, something to silence those voices, to silence that emphasis. But, and Peter uh, Peter means this as an encouragement to the suffering, persevering church who's standing firm in the gospel and making it known. Peter says, but the end of all things is close. The end of of all things is close. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Peter says the end is close, the end that we've been promised, the end we've hoped for, the end where God reigns without any dissent, without any resistance. Knowing this ought to keep us clear-headed and praying. That's what he's saying. This isn't a big downer that Peter's saying this. The end is close. Let that keep you clear in your head for the purpose of prayer. Keep praying. It's coming. It will happen. It, the promised end is, is nearby. And that's good news. Amen. Have you ever thought, I'd really like to just go and be with Jesus now? Like, I don't know how it's, and I think for many of us, it's the transition that's a little bit scary. (laughs) Like, what's the, yeah, that's right. How do you get there? I want to be there, but I don't know know about that transition part. I don't know what that's going to be like. But Peter is saying in here, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the end of all things is at hand. This is after he's been encouraging the church and saying, you know, these trials, they're to be expected. And you've been going through some of this, and the world will give an account to God. And he's saying these kinds of things, and I'd love to stop and stay more on that. But he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And then he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, now this veteran follower of Christ, he is asserting vigorously that there's, we need to know that this is of prime importance. This is something extra important. You know, it's kind of like, when you when someone says sometimes you're going to do something and you're following their instructions and then they say, but whatever you do, make sure you do this. Like do all of this, but whatever you do, don't neglect that, that part. And that's that's Peter. He gets here and he says, okay, above all, like there's lots of things to remember, lots of things to keep in mind, renew your mind with, do these actions, but above all, of first importance, 
before other things you do, do this. Whatever else gets neglected for a season, keep this in mind. Earlier in this letter, Peter says, some of these things you already know, but I feel it's my duty to keep reminding you for as long as I'm here. I'm going to keep reminding you. And we need reminders, right? We need reminders even of things we think are important because after a while, we sort of lose sight of it and it kind of fizzles down and then something gets reemphasized like, oh yeah, I keep the first things first. First priority, don't let it wane. Peter puts special emphasis here so that we won't miss this. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Remember a variety of things, but don't neglect this. Keep fervent in your love for one another. He's commanding us to love. And it makes sense because the love here is the word, you've heard it before, agape love. And it, it's used again and again in the Bible to refer, in, in the New Testament, to refer to God's love. It's, it's been said to be an unconditional love, but it's a love of choice. It's a verb. It isn't just a feeling or an emotion. Like, keep fervent uh, in... Well, he couldn't say that. He couldn't say keep, like do it, if he just said, above all, feel love. I hope you feel love. No, because it's something we have to do. It isn't just uh, a feeling or an emotion. It's an action. So let's look at this for, for just a few minutes. Since it's so important to someone so important and to the church that's so important to Christ, keep fervent in your love. Now, there's the, sometimes the word fervor, there's a, a one definition of fervor or one root to that word that's translated in English, fervor. It has to do with temperature, as in heat. That's not this word. This one is keep fervent in your love. And the word is only used a few times in the New Testament. And a couple of them appear here in the book of Peter. A couple of them appear regarding prayer. They were, it's, one of them is Jesus. He was praying fervently. Another one, ironically, was in Acts chapter 12. Remember when Peter was in jail and it says, He was in jail. He was between some guards, chained between guards. And it says, and the church was praying fervently for him. And then the miracle happened where the angel shows up and says, you know, put on your coat. And and the chains fell off and he led him out of the prison. Somehow, this is a crazy miracle because the next day they went, the guards were still in front of the door. Everything was in place except for the prisoner. I think that's hilarious. You know, everything was the same. It wasn't like it opened and the angel scared the guards and they ran off or something. No, they were all there thinking, you know, the the package is safely in the prison. And then when they come to check, it's like the guy's gone. Hey, he's in the temple preaching. Okay, that's that's a miracle. That's separating things. And they were praying fervently. But Peter showed up at the house and a servant girl went to answer the door, 
And she heard Peter's voice and ran back in and said, it's Peter. They said, you're crazy. They're praying fervently for him, but then when he showed up, they couldn't quite do it. But that's what their fervent prayers did. They're praying fervently. And this word, um, Jesus uh, prayed fervently in the garden. But the word means literally stretched. It means stretched or stretched out. And it has to do with like muscle. And, and the word is used like of an athlete where they would be all in. And it's like they're stretched out. There's, there's uh, nothing held back. Like the muscles are, are tight and they're, 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 they're doing what they were designed to do. And all out, that's, that's what this word fervent means. Love with that kind of fervor, with everything you have, all your strength. We, we used to have an evangelist in our church in Kitsilano. And uh, this guy, uh, some of you know Darwin. He was a big guy, six, three and a half. And he loved to work out. And he loved sports. And he could not. Um, if there was some kind of competition, Darwin could not walk away. And it was funny. Like, he broke his neck wrestling at UBC. He was in a match, and uh, this guy got on top of him. But for Darwin, it was like everything, and he arched, and his muscles broke his own neck because of the force that he put. And thankfully, the guy on top of him heard the pop and felt it, and he sort of stopped. He knew that was an unnatural sound. And, uh, and had he moved him, like something bad could have happened. And in, in Darwin fashion, within a week, with, you know they have those halo things that would hold their head? Within a week, he was swimming with that thing on. And he was that kind of guy. We were once having a staff meeting in the basement of this house. And they had these kind of lights that hung down like this. It was kind of a bowl thing. And it was, this was out near UBC. And I saw this thing. It was from maybe here to the piano. And I had a crumpled paper. And I went like this. And I threw the thing. And it landed in the bowl where I tried. Darwin and his wife were just leaving. And she had already headed to the car. Darwin saw that. And it was like, no. He could not leave until crumpled paper and he's doing it and we're doing it and all of a sudden this dark figure appears in the door it's his wife darwin and it's like it was kind of funny this big guy who's just muscle bound he would do that and he you know his wife showed up in the door darwin and he's got a guy dropped the paper and he's gone but he couldn't turn it off he was that kind of an athlete anything he did it was like we would play a co-ed volleyball game at ubc with the students Oh, yeah, and Darwin, like, he couldn't stop it. I heard that Kobe Bryant was that way, that he'd play with anybody. And it's like, no, if I'm playing, I'm playing 100%, and I'm going to win. And that's the kind of thing. And that is the kind of person that when he was playing, he's a picture of athletic fervor. And that's the kind of picture that Peter's talking about. Love with that kind of fervor. It's like, it's going to cost you some effort. You're going you're gonna to expend some energy doing this. It's going to mean something like 
you know, like they talk about people with the X factor in sports, where it's just like, you know, Michael Jordan. No, nope, I'm sick, but I'm still, I'm going to win in one way or the other. And that kind of, that's what Peter's talking about in terms of love. Stretched out. And Paul uses the same word, same root, when he describes beautifully in Philippians 3.13, he says, forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward, I stretch and strain forward to what lies ahead. I, I can't keep looking back. Yes, my life, I was a persecutor of the church. I failed. I haven't attained everything I want, but I can't look at what's behind. I'm reaching forward. And you know that thing in a, in a race when somebody looks behind to see if that guy's catching, often they'll, they'll lose. It's like, no, only look ahead, look at the thing, stretch for the finish line, because those guys who look behind, uh-oh, that took just that extra little piece off, and somebody passes. Stretch forward, strain forward, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. The prize will be worth the effort. The end of all things is at hand, and he's saying, keep fervent. Stretch for it. That's, the, that's what Peter, or well, God, through Peter, is calling the church to in terms of loving one another. It's no half measures. It's no half measures. That's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to be. I know I'm not yet. That's what I want. By the grace of God, I want that. I want that for you. I want us to be those kind of people. Love that's been tested. Love that's been proven. Love that, that says, oh, yeah, to score in this, in, in this scenario, I might take some shots. I might, you know, take some blows. But I'm getting to the finish line. I'm going through. It's like it's worth it. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. The prize. Fervent, all out, full effort love. For God? No. Well, indirectly, but for one another. John, another one of the original uh, 12 disciples who was with Jesus, Jesus everywhere, he says, how can you say you love God when you don't love the person you can see, the brother or sister who's right there? It's calling us to love one another. This is the tangible way that we express our love for Jesus is by loving one another. That's a a very tangible way in God's eyes. This is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus. Nobody gets out of this. Nobody gets around this. This is the preeminent attribute of God and of his people is to walk in love. And it It's costly, and it's going to cost, again, that stretching, that I'm all in, I'm going for it, I'm I'm no half measures. Every follower of Jesus is called to obey him with effort to love. Again, it's not just that we wait until we feel it. We're called to do it. Earlier in his letter, in 1 Peter 1.22, this same responsibility is stated. Peter says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls 
for a sincere love of the brethren or of the brothers and sisters, fervently love one another from the heart. He says it twice in this book, in this letter. He's saying, be fervent in your love for one another. Paul teaches this to the church in Thessalonica uh, with his own call to full effort. He says, now as to the love of the brothers and sisters, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you practice it. He, he's saying, I, I know you're working on this. I know you're doing it by the grace of God. He says, you, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you practice it. But we urge you to excel even more. Never think, oh, whew, we are a loving church. We are. I, I like this church family. I think there's love here. There's some, there's some good things, but excel even more. That's what, that's what Paul says. We urge you. It's important. We urge you. And of course, all of this is established on the foundation of Jesus' own words, where he says in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Well, that's a tall order. You love one another as I've loved you. Yeah, good luck. That, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Let's roll the dice. Good luck. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's a tall order. It seems like, well, we're sunk even before we start. But he wouldn't say it if he didn't mean for his grace to push us as close to the reality of that as possible. It seems like it's impossible. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And this will impact the world because then he says, by this, this love for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples. All people will know that you're my disciples. So there's an evangelistic component to it. It looks like, oh, you guys are just one holy huddle. You're just loving one another. But it has an evangelistic result because somebody might look and say, man, I need community. I got encouraged this week by some people saying how the church has been their family and saying they're kids. This is the place they look forward to coming. They, like, these things of family and community and those things, and it, it doesn't happen without effort, and it doesn't happen without the love of God Amen. operating among us. Amen? And that's Jesus' desire is that we would be that kind of a people, and he says, as we are practicing that, as we're reaching for that, the world will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. It looks like it's kind of in-house, but it doesn't stay there because others will see that and, oh, that's what I want. That's what I need. I, I desire that. I want to be loved like that. I want people in my life like that. Every, our love for one another is to set the people of God apart from every other grouping 
Every community, nation, family, society, affiliation, brotherhood, whatever, there's nothing else like the church of God because there's nothing else like the love of God and the Holy Spirit who pours out the love of God into our hearts. There's no, nothing else like that anywhere else. Does that mean nobody else is loving? No, I wouldn't say that. There are loving people. There are you know kind people. There's all that kind of thing. But as the people of God, We've got the very source, the eternal, universal source of love now living inside of us as people of the kingdom of God. He's living there. He's extending love. And I, I know that he wants us more and more to say, I'm open, God do it in me. I'm here. I believe that you're living in me, Holy Spirit. Do what you want to do. Express the love of God through me. I, I know that you guys, how many want that in your life? Go ahead and be bold. How many want? Holy, yeah, amen. I know. I, I believe it because I get loved by you guys. And I know that that's not just because you're great people and because I'm so outstanding. It's, you know, we all know those things are true. But the Holy Spirit is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. He's working in us, moving and extending the the true love of God. And the second half of verse 8 is wonderful, but it has puzzled me for a while. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now that's puzzled me because love covers a multitude of sins sounds like if I love, my sins will be covered. And I know that I can't do anything to earn the love of God. I know I can't do anything to have my to earn forgiveness for my sins. It's a gift of grace accomplished by the atoning sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. So my love doesn't accomplish that. His love accomplished it. But here's what I think is mostly being pointed at here. The reality that our love for our fellow Christians reflects what God's love does for us, and our love for others covers their sins, bears with their frailty, their sinfulness, their faults. Not that we just excuse things and say, ah, it doesn't matter. No, it matters, but we don't expose, and we don't go and, and think, oh, that person's sinful. They're not worthy of the love of God. No, the love of God covers it. Because we can look around this room. It does, it's not a spiritual gift to look around and think, okay, sinner, 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 everybody in here is a sinner. That's not a spiritual gift, right? Um, we, we can see some of the, you know, the fault lines in one another, right? Yeah. And love covers that. Love is like, yeah, I know it. I know it. I, I get charged sometimes by when I, when I know that 
there's even something in people that, you know, I know this is an area that this person struggles with or here's a, a weakness or something that I know is something they don't like about themselves. But I, I find I really like them. I, I'm, I'm not excusing the sin, but I really like them. I love them. And I know there's something, but it's like somehow it just doesn't loom. I, I need to say this right. It doesn't loom that large as far as my love for them. It doesn't mean I, I think, oh, you don't even need to deal with that. that does, no, do deal with it. God wants a holy people, and he's working in us, amen? But it doesn't change my love for them, like with my kids. Believe it or not, kids, I do know that there might be a couple of things <laughs> that, that kind of like me and your mother, a couple of fault lines. I know it. But, man, I love my kids. I'm crazy about them. And, and so that kind of thing, it, I know that's shocking. Um, <laughs> you know, my kids are disillusioned. Um, no, I, I, I know that there are those things. We know that about one another, right? But we love each other. We love each other. It, and here's Peter saying, he's not saying, Nah, don't worry about it. it. It doesn't matter. He's the one that in the first chapter of this letter, he says, be holy in all your behavior for he who called you is holy. He is holy, will be holy. He says that. But then here he is saying, love one another, be fervent in it. It's like he's living in the same real world we're living in. We know we're surrounded by sinful people, but I also now, by love, can look and say, hey, I know you gave your heart to Christ, and I get a little glimpse of the big picture that Jesus has. He already sees you as a blood-bought follower of Christ who's going to stand in paradise and say, Jesus, you did it all. Thank you very much for bringing me here. Oh my gosh. And I can see that. Does it mean there is nothing there? No faults? No, of course it doesn't mean that. But the love is greater. The picture is bigger. The picture is better than that. By love, we can do that. We can have that kind of fervent love. So let me, let me wrap this. That the, the application of this is not just us saying, oh, we're going to feel love. No. I'll say more about it next week, about a few sort of practical points of response. As you read on, Peter says a little more about some ways we can practically love one another. And we'll get there, but it's five after eight. I'm not going to keep going for the full hour that is rightfully mine. Uh, (laughs) we, We all have this responsibility to... Do that stretching to be all out in our love for one another, not just for God. Indirectly, it is for him. But he said do it, so we do it. This word is spoken to the church, to all of us together. But who comprises the church? Individuals. So we have to respond to it individually, personally, I have to say, yes, I will do that. John, 
Keep fervent in your love for people. That guy ticked me off. Keep fervent in your love for him. Maybe you need to go address the thing, but not address it because you just want to write him off, but address him because he's worth the love of God. He's worth the effort. Uh, That kind of thing. And each of us needs to respond personally. Obey personally. Believe what Jesus says personally. We have that responsibility. Amen? Amen. Each of us. Each of us is responsible to respond to him. He continues on in verses uh, 9 through 11 with some practical stuff. But for now, let's open our hearts to God's Holy Spirit tonight. And allow him to shine a light on any root of bitterness, any unforgiveness that we've allowed toward a brother or sister. Because maybe something was done wrong or perceived wrong. But let's, let's humble ourselves before God and open our hearts to him to show us if there's anything like that that's an impediment to us loving with fervor. And he just might, and we'll be open to this, he just might show us something else where we need to repent for something we've done to get a block out of the way in case that's creating a stumbling block for someone loving us.